0: For miracles to happen in your house, your house must become a house of prayer. This message is the fifth in the series, House Builders. The message is entitled, Expect God to Work, Part One. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheets as we turn our attention to our series of messages we're involved in. I'm talking to you about how to build a house, the importance of our houses, the value that God places upon them. I want to talk to you, especially this weekend and next weekend, about how to expect God to work at your house. How do you expect God to work at your house? One of the key concepts of the Bible is the word house. You find that actually in your English version, your international version of Scripture, you'll find the word house over 900 times. It's interesting to note how many times that God makes mention of your house. When you come to the New Testament, there's an interesting word in the New Testament for house, that's the word oikos, and that word really refers to a variety of things. It refers to anything that you are building with your life. Your life is a house. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're building a household, perhaps in the family that you have, you have a house environment where you work at, that there's lots of things that are associated with your house. It's not just a physical structure. And it's also important to remember that when you're building anything, you're building your house, your life, or your family, or building anything that relates to you, your business, your work environment, that you can build it poorly or you can build it well. Houses are constructed sometimes very poorly and sometimes they're constructed very well. Jesus made reference to this in Matthew chapter 7, where he talked about a wise man and a foolish man. He said, The wise man built his house on a rock, and the foolish man built his house on sand. And both of the houses were tested by storms, and there was only one house that stood the test. That was the house that was built upon the rock. You can build well, you can build poorly. Obviously, our choice today is we want to build well, and to build well, we have to understand how to build well. You don't just accidentally sort of fall into a well-built house. There's something that you have to do. There are things you must engage in that's a part of that process. I want to talk, as I said today, about beginning to realize how God impacts your family, your house, your household, your life, everything that you're building with your life. How does God get involved with you in the building process? And today, I'm going to share with you two things that I think will help you to understand a bit more about this. It may just simply be a reminder for you of some things that you already know, but we sometimes need to be reminded of things that we we already know just to put them back into place in our thinking again and to be refreshed in it. And the first thing I want to remind you of today is that God is a God who answers household prayers. The God loves to respond to people when they pray in the context of their house. Miracles are one of the things that we all need. I'm going to talk in a few moments about miracles and how God does miracles in our lives and our families. But for a miracle to happen in your house, I want to talk to you about something that precedes that, and I want to talk to you about building a house of prayer. How do you create a house of prayer? Because miracles are a response quite often to our prayers God will sometimes do a miracle just uh, sovereignly. He will work in our lives. But quite often, miracles are the result of us asking God for certain things, us going to God in prayer. And for your house to be a house of prayer, you have to create an atmosphere of prayer in your house, in your life, in your family, in your work environment, and everything that you do. It needs to be saturated with prayer. And the unspoken, perhaps, but... Nevertheless, very real motto of your house needs to be, my house is a house of prayer. We are a praying house. We are a praying family. You perhaps have heard the old statement, the family that prays together stays together. And so you want to have this mindset, this atmosphere that you're working to create, this this environment that says we are a house of prayer. We're, We're never going to be a perfect house, but we will be a praying house. And I will tell you this, if you learn to be a praying house, you will move move further toward perfection than when you fail to do this. And so how do you become this person of prayer, This create this environment of prayer? How does your household have this atmosphere that says we are a praying house? Well, to be a praying house, you have to engage in the activity of prayer. And there are lots of different ways. I'm going to talk specifically about families for a few moments here that families can pray together and create this environment. And then I'll give you some scriptures that back this up. We see some examples of this in in, in the pages of the Bible. But there are lots of different opportunities you have every day to pray, to create an atmosphere of prayer in your home. Every time that you sit down at a meal, it's a wonderful opportunity to stop before you eat that meal and to bow your heads and have your family bow their heads and say, Lord, thank you for the blessing of this food. We declare it being a blessing from you, and we thank you for it. One of the sad things that we see in our culture today, and I think it's really a statement about the the degradation of our culture, is that we, we don't have as many family times together for meals, and then oftentimes we don't even pray when we sit down at a meal. I will tell you, it's a powerful thing when you tell your children before we have this meal, let's stop for a moment and let's thank God for the blessing and let's do it whether we're at home or let's do it if we're in a restaurant. Wherever we are, we're gonna bow our heads and say, God, thank you for the blessing of food in my life. Are you grateful for food? Are you thankful for the blessings God has given you? So you, you create that atmosphere. It's a wonderful thing before you go to bed at night that you grab those kids and bring them together and take about five or six minutes or 10 minutes at the most and say, we're going to take some time today and pray just a little bit before you go to bed and uh, ask God's blessings on your life. And you not only pray, but have those kids learn how to pray as well. You're creating an atmosphere of prayer when you wake up in the morning as you're sending your children out to school. We've just started a new school year. What a wonderful thing it is to stop for a moment before those kids head to the bus or head to the school and say, honey, we're going to take just a moment and have a a word of prayer with you. See, prayer, you're, you're creating an atmosphere and environment of prayer. But when you create this atmosphere of prayer, I'm not talking about being hyper-religious and, and super-religious in the way that you, you, you speak the prayers to God. I think so often we kind of turn people off in the way that we pray. But your prayer needs to be just a natural part of your life, just how you communicate with God, that God is a part of of everything that we do in this family. We're gonna take time to communicate to him that he is invited into this home, that this is a house of prayer. Our house is a house of prayer. Now in terms of this, there are lots of different ways that we could uh, take this this particular study today and I'm gonna draw your attention to a few passages in the Bible. Let me take you back to the book of Genesis chapter 18 and talk to you about Abraham for a moment. Abraham was a man of prayer. He created an atmosphere in his house that was a household of prayer. When God called Abraham, he was living in a place called Ur of the Chaldees and God said, I'm gonna call you to a new land and he left the land of Ur of the Chaldees and eventually made his way to what we know today to be the promised land of the land of Canaan, the land that we know of Israel. He comes into the land. He begins to walk through the land, and God says, I'm going to give this to you. You're going to have a son. You're going to have an heir, and this is going to be your land. You're going to walk through this land, and as I take you through the journey, I'm going to every place that you put your foot, it's going to eventually be the land that will belong to your descendants. You'll be the father of a great nation. And so Abraham begins to walk through the land of Canaan, and one of the things you'll see as he walks through the land of Canaan, that he begins to build altars to God. He comes to different places. He'll stop and he will build an altar to God. And there at that altar, there will be sacrifices that will be offered to God and there will be prayers that will be offered. Then he will go on his journey to the next place and another altar will be built. But what you see is that Abraham is building into the culture of his family, this idea that we are a family that worships God. We are a family that talks to God. We are a family that has a relationship with God. We build altars in our family. Do you have a family altar? Are you building altars with your family? And the Bible says of him, when Abraham, Abraham came to a place where his nephew desperately needed some help for him, from him, Abraham was prepared to give his nephew help because he was a praying man who'd raised up a household of prayer. Genesis 18 verse 19, God says these words about Abraham. I wonder if God could say these words about us. I chose him, God says. I chose him and he will instruct his children and his What's the word there? His household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he promised. God is saying, I chose this man, Abraham, because I know something about him. I know that he's going to instruct his children in the right way. I know that he's going to establish a household that keeps the way of the Lord by doing what is right and doing what is just. God knew Abraham because Abraham had spent time with God. So Abraham was this man that had a household of prayer, a household of faith, a household that built altars. Are you building altars in your house? Is your house a house of prayer? Let me talk to you about someone in the New Testament for a moment. His name is Timothy. Timothy was raised in an atmosphere of prayer. When Paul needed someone to travel with him and Silas in his missionary journeys after John Mark had deserted him. He was his first helper in the, in the, in the spreading of the gospel. But John Mark had, had now gone back to Jerusalem and no longer wanted to be a part of the missionary team in the same way he had been in the past. And so uh, Paul needed a helper. And so he, he chose this young man, Timothy. And I believe one of the reasons that he chose this young man, Timothy, was because Timothy had something in him that had been formed in his family. He'd been raised in an environment of prayer. He had lived in a household where God was honored. There was something that was imparted to Timothy's life that he now had to give because this household was a household of prayer. We see this reference in 2 Timothy 1, verse number 5. As Paul is writing to Timothy, I want you to notice how Paul makes reference to Timothy's heritage here, his spiritual heritage in this, this verse. As I think of your strong faith, Paul writes to Timothy, that was passed, what's the next word there? What was it? It was passed down. That means it came from someone before him. It was passed down through your family line. It began with your grandmother, Lois, who passed it on to your dear mother, Eunice, and it is clear that you two are following in the footsteps of their godly example. Timothy says, uh, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you've been raised in a godly environment. You had a grandmother that loved God. You had a mother that loved God. They taught you how to pray. Now, you stand firm in what you've learned, the faith that you gained from your grandmother and your mother, you become a man of prayer and stand firm and stand strong in the ministry that I've called you to. It's an amazing thing when we're creating environments so we can pass down faith to the generations that are to come. Joshua was another man that had experienced this in his own life. Joshua was called by God to lead the children of Israel into the Promised Land after Moses died. And after many years of leading God's people through the Promised Land and securing their, land, their homes and, uh, and driving out enemies, there was this moment that Joshua was about to die. He's going to pass on from his role in, in life and move into eternity. So he calls all the leaders of Israel together, and he makes a statement in Joshua 24, verse number 15, "But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served, if beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you are, you are living. But as for me and my, me and my what? So what are we talking about in this series? Building your what? your house, okay, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Joshua had made the decision that our house is going to be a household that serves God. Our household will be a household that is saturated with prayer. You see, that was a part of Abraham's life. It certainly was a part of Timothy's life. It was a part of Joshua's life. These are all examples of people who built this atmosphere of prayer. Can I ask you once again, is your house a house of prayer? It's the beginning part of the journey. The second thing I want to talk to you for a few moments about today that builds on this, once you learn to pray and learn to go to God, and we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment in terms of actually how you do that, but coming off the heels of that understanding that we've got to be a house of prayer, you then need to understand that God does household miracles when people pray. When you become a house of prayer, God does miracles in your house. God is a miracle-working God. I say that not just to get an amen response, although I think it's certainly a wonderful thing for us to do, so I'm going to give you another opportunity to do it. God is a miracle-working God. God does things that are supernatural. The Bible is a book of supernatural stories. From Genesis to Revelation, you see that God does things that are beyond the natural. That's what the word supernatural means, that you have a natural set of circumstances, a natural situation, a natural problem on a human level that human ingenuity, human capacity cannot resolve or solve or intervene in. And so when God steps into something that is a natural problem, a natural situation, and He does what only He can do, that is a supernatural intervention of God, and that is represented with the word miracle. Miracle is when God does what man cannot do. And the good news, again, is that God does miraculous things in people's lives. We need to have an awareness and a deep belief in the fact that our God is indeed a miracle-working God. Notice Luke chapter 1, verse 37. For nothing is impossible with God. That's miracle territory. Mark chapter 10, verse verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. God. Jeremiah 32, verse 27, as Jeremiah the prophet is speaking on behalf of God, he says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? It is a rhetorical question upon which there should be a proper sense of what the answer is. And the answer is, no, there's nothing that is too hard for God. There's nothing that is impossible with God, and there's nothing that is too hard for God. there are times in our lives, there are times in our houses that we need miracles at our house. There's sometimes that I need a miracle right there in my house. And one of the most common places when you study the Bible, one of the most common places for miracles to occur are in people's houses. When you study the pages of Scripture, and I would encourage you to do so, you will find that time and time again that miracles, some of the greatest miracles recorded in the Bible happened at somebody's house. So we tend to think that to have a miracle, we've got to go to a miracle service. We've got to go to church to have a miracle happen. I believe that miracles happen in church. I believe that miracles are happening in this church today. I believe that God is working supernaturally in people's lives, but you don't have to wait to you get to church to get a miracle. God can do a miracle at your house, and many of the miracles that are recorded in the pages of Scripture happen at someone's house. Let me give you just a few examples of this as we're going through this teaching today. In Matthew chapter chapter 8, verse 14, we're talking about the ministry of Jesus here now. It happened in a little place called Capernaum. And Capernaum is on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee, small little fish, uh, fishing village that Jesus made his hometown during his ministry. It says when Peter came into, when Jesus came into Peter's house, that was in that city of Capernaum, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in a bed with a fever. He touched her and the fever left her. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, that is, brought to that house. And he drove out the spirits with the word and healed all the sick. This miracle that's described here happened at Peter's house. Where did it happen? Not in the temple not on the roadside somewhere, although miracles did happen in the temple and miracles did happen by the roadside many times or in various places. This miracle happened where? In Peter's house. Notice Luke chapter eight, verses 41 and 42. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him, pleading with Jesus to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. Now, by the time that Jesus makes it to the house, she's going to be already dead. Let's pick up the story in verse number 51. When he arrived at the house of Jehovah. So where is Jesus now? He's at somebody's house. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. So he's going in where the girl was, but he took her, but he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Where did this miracle happen? It miracle, this miracle happened at the house of Jairus. A miracle happened at Peter's house. A miracle happened at the house of Jairus. Let me give you another example from the book of Acts. Now, Jesus has died on the cross, rose from the grave, ascended back to, to God the Father in heaven, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He sent the Holy Spirit. The apostles are out ministering now. And now, now we have a story that takes place of one of these miracles that happened at someone's house. Acts chapter 9, beginning in verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room, room being in somebody's house. Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed, turning toward the dead woman. So this is a dead woman, a lady who who was a follower of Christ, but she's died. Her name is Tabitha, by the way. And so turning toward the dead woman, she's laying up in an upper room there in her house, turning toward the dead woman. He said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This miracle happened in Tabitha's house. So we see a miracle in Peter's house. We see a miracle in the house of Jairus. We see a miracle in Tabitha's house. I'm telling you, they're miracles for your house. Jesus shows up and he does miracles in your house. He loves to do a miracle in a house. He loves to show up in a house and do a work in a house. And what I want to tell you is how you get this happening in your house. I think all of us would say, I need some miracles in my house. And so, How does this happen in in my house, in your house? Let me give you an analogy of how we're gonna talk about this today with three basic sections. It's an acronym for the word ask. I'm gonna lay out for you. How do you have God work miracles in your house? The first thing you must do, I'm gonna go back to what we talked about a moment ago and highlight it just a bit more. You have to be a person who is asking God for miracles. You have to be a person of prayer. You have to learn how to engage with God in prayer. And to learn to take the big things to God in prayer and to learn to take the little things to God in prayer. To take everything to God in prayer. To make God your first court of appeal in anything that's going on in your life. That when your kids get sick, who's the first one you call on? You call on God. Now, you might be calling on God on the way to the doctor, by the way, okay? Which is a fine thing to do. But sometimes we take off to the doctor, we never talk to God. Your kids get sick, God, I'm asking you for your intervention in this situation, and you do what's responsible in terms of taking care of them, in terms of the medical aspect of things, but you realize that when a problem arises in my life, my first court of appeal, the first one I'm going to is to God. My first cry, my first call is not going to be to somebody else. My first call is going to be to God. I'll tell you how many of us operate the first time a problem comes up in our life. The way that we respond to a problem, we text everybody we know. This is what's going on in my life. Let me tell you, stop doing that first. You can do that later if you need to, and sometimes you don't even need to do that, okay? But you go to God and you say, God, this is what's going on in my life. I'm asking for your intervention. I'm going to God first. Say with me together, I'm going to God first. It doesn't mean that you don't do other things as well, but you go to God, what? first. When you go to God first, what you're doing is you're putting the priority of God, I'm asking you to engage in this. I'll tell you, your doctor will be a whole lot wiser if you prayed for him before you show up in his office. Okay? Amen? That surgeon that's going to operate on you is going to be a whole lot more skillful if you prayed for that surgeon before he operates on you or any of your family. And so you go to God first. You believe, God, you're my first court of appeal. When problems come up, I'm coming to you first. Then second of all, the yes, stand in and stand with faith. So I've come to God and said, God, I've got this issue going on in my family, I, I, in my house. I, I need your help. I need your engagement. I'm asking you to be a part of this situation. And then the second thing, you stand in and you stand with faith. You need to become a faith-centered person person, that the circumstances don't shake me because I'm standing upon the promises of God's word. And that's what it means to be a faith-centered person, that now I'm not basing how I'm going to respond to this situation on the situation on a reaction of panic in the moment. No, I'm, I'm responding to this situation with the confidence that God has a promise for me in the midst of whatever I'm facing in my life. There's not a single problem. I don't know what your problems are today, but I can tell you confidently this today. There's not a single problem in your life that God doesn't have a promise to go along with your problem. Whatever your problem is, I would assure you that there is a promise from God that is exactly what you need for your problem. And so you've got to get a hold of that promise from God because that's going to become the rock upon which you stand. It's going to become, become the firm foundation for your life. It's how you move toward a miracle because God responds when people engage by faith in Him. See, faith is the key that opens up every door of blessing in your life. To be able to experience the standing in and standing with faith, you've got to have some things in place in life. You've got to know the promises before you can stand on the promises. You can't stand on something you don't know, right? In Hosea chapter four, verse six, it says, my people are destroyed from a lack of what? Lack of what? Lack of knowledge. What you don't know, a lot of people, well, what I don't know can't hurt me. What you don't know can kill you, okay? For many, many years, Centuries ago, they couldn't figure out why so many people were dying of different kind of uh, flu, flus and epidemics and things of this nature because they didn't understand germs. They didn't understand uh, biology. They didn't understand the basics of how germs operate. And so it was only after they discovered uh, this this whole issue of how germs uh, are propagated and so forth, they began to develop something called antibiotics. Anybody glad for antibiotics? Okay, A lot of people died before we had antibiotics because people didn't know how diseases operated. And so a lack of knowledge can destroy you. The same is true when it comes to the realm of your spiritual life. If you don't know the promises of God, you cannot stand on the promises of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 148, My eyes stay open through the watches of the night that I may meditate on, that I may get to know and be aware of and fully engaged in your promises. Then you have to believe the promises. It's not just enough to know it. You've gotta believe that these words from God are true and they are real for your life. See, God doesn't give you promises to raise false hopes. He gives you promises to believe in because these are solid things to hold on to. In John chapter 3, verse 16, here's an illustration of this. In John 3, 16, Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Let's break this apart for a moment. I'm going to show you how this works. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. There's the action that God took for us while we were sinners. So we're away from God, and God loved us so much that he sent his Son into the world. That whoever whosoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. There's the promise. We've got the problem, we're away from God and the action that God took to deal with the, prom- deal with the problem, but then he gives us the promise that if whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so if I am in a condition in my soul of not having a relationship with God, then I realize this is a promise that God gave. If I will put my faith in Jesus, that he will give me eternal life, then what I'm doing then is I'm saying, God, I know now your promise, now I believe it, and when you believe it, it becomes real in your life. There's a believing that says, this is for me. Notice Joshua, chapter 21, verses, verse 45. Not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Every one was fulfilled. Psalm 119, verse 140. Would you read it together with me? Let's read it aloud and aloud. Are you ready? Here we go. Your promises have been thoroughly tested and your servant loves them. Your promises have been what? Thoroughly tested. That means they've been put to the test and they work. 2 Corinthians 1, 19 and 20. For Jesus Christ, the Son of God, does not waver between yes and no. He is the one whom Silas, Timothy, and I preach to you. And as God's ultimate yes, He always does what He says. For all of God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for His glory. What is that passage all about? That passage is a reminder from the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, that every promise that God has in his book is a yes to you. It's a yes to you. And so we... Ask God, God, I have this this situation going on in my household. I'm coming to you. You're my first court of appeal. I'm going to stand on your promises. I'm going to believe your promises. Now I'm going to claim your promises. They are now going to be mine. They're not just a distant promise out there, but now I'm taking this into my own life. I'm making it mine. I'm putting my name on it. I'm I'm signing the check. I'm countersigning the check that you've already signed. I'm laying claim to this in my life. This promise now belongs to me. It is mine because you've said yes to it for my problem and for my life. A lot of people can say, well, yeah, I kind of know the promises. Yeah, I believe them, but they never claim them for themselves. You know, in America today, there are uh, many times one of the ways that we give gifts to people is we give gift cards. I think all of you have gotten gift cards before, right? And we give gift cards to other people. It's an amazing way to give something to someone, uh, not quite knowing perhaps what they want, so you give them a gift card. But one of the interesting things that happens with gift cards is we carry them around in our pockets and many of them have balances on them. You might have a gift card in your pocket right now that has a balance on it. You know that in America today, and basically every year that goes by, there's about a billion dollars in unclaimed gift cards. If you have any in your pocket that you don't plan on using, please give them to me at the end of the service, okay? (laughs) A billion dollars, think about a billion dollars of unclaimed blessing. I just wonder, I don't know this, this is a speculation, I can't prove this scripturally, but I kind of wonder that when we get to heaven, are we going to see all kind of warehouses filled up with stuff and God saying, you know, this this was all available for you, but but you never claimed it. You never claimed it as a promise for your life, and so I had these blessings for you, but you never laid claim to it. And I believe there, there are warehouses perhaps in heaven waiting for blessings and miracles to be claimed in our lives, but you have to claim it. You have to say, now this is going to be mine, and then you, you rest in the promises of God. Notice Hebrews chapter four, verses nine through 11. So we conclude there's still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience that rest. I'm not gonna read the rest of that passage. You can read it yourself, but it talks about that resting attitude. Now that I've asked God, I'm standing on his promises. I know what he said, what his promise is for my problem. Now based upon his promise for my problem, I'm gonna stand on it, I'm gonna believe it, I'm gonna claim it for my life, I'm gonna rest in that promise. Isaiah 26, three says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And so always remember, remember this, you can't have rest without trust and you can't have trust that does not produce rest. Rest and trust always goes together. You're the most rested when you're the most trustful. You're the most at peace when you have a sense of trust in God. And so God says, I've given you the promises to trust in. Then you wait on God to fulfill that promise. Psalm 130 says, I, verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits in his word. I put my hope. I want you to read together with me two other passages here as we're moving on to the final point in just a moment. I want to remind you of what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11. Would you read together with me? If you then... Though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not ask God. What, what word is found in both of those passages? The word is ask. You've got to ask. You'll never have miracles unless you ask God, stand on his promises, and then thirdly, you need to keep an atmosphere of worship and gratitude and praise in your, in your environment. Now that I've gone to God, I've asked Him, I've got a need in my life, I'm I'm approaching you, God, with this need. I now know your promise. For me, I I believe your promise. I'm claiming your promise. I'm affirming your promise. I'm resting in your promise. I'm waiting on your promise. Now, God, I'm going to move from that, that stage into an atmosphere of worshiping you and thanking you for what you're going to do. See, God responds to gratitude. God responds to our praise. God responds to our worship. God responds when you've you've gotten to that place in a confident faith of being able to say, God, I know you've got this, and even before I see it, I'm gonna praise you for the answer that is already on the way. Do you believe that God issues answers, and they may not show up on your timetable, but you can praise them before they make it to your doorstep? See, if you knew that a million-dollar check was on the way... It may not have made it to your mailbox yet, but you know that it's coming. Would you be praising God already? Oh, you'd be walking around like a millionaire. Okay? I got a million dollars. Let me see the check. Well, it hasn't arrived yet, but I've got it. Okay? I know it's, it's on the way. It's gonna show up in the mail any day now. Okay? And That's how you're to walk when it comes to the promises of God. You may not quite have it in your hand yet, but you can still praise God for the miracle that is on the way, the miracle that is on the way. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. I love this passage. One of my favorite passages, one of my favorite renderings of this passage is from the Living Bible in Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Why don't we read it together again as we're coming to a conclusion today? Don't worry about I think we could stop right there for a while, couldn't we? Okay. Don't worry about anything. Continue with me. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Let's push the pause button right there for a moment. Can we do that? Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says to us, to you, 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 every one of you today, don't worry about anything. God says don't worry about anything. Are you worried about something today? Don't worry about anything. But pray about everything. Now if you don't pray, you need to worry. Your worry is not going to do you any good, but it gives you something to do. Okay. They said that worry is like a rocking chair. It never never, it never goes anywhere, but it gives you something to do. Okay. And so here we're in this situation where you're you got a problem and you got a need in your life. And so God says, Don't worry about anything, but however, you do need to pray about everything. So don't worry about anything but pray about everything. Tell God your needs. Now, he could have stopped there, but he didn't stop there. And then he he continues this instruction session with with the Philippian believers and with us as well. And he adds this element to his teaching. And don't forget to thank him for his answers. So we get the pray about everything part. We get the tell God about your needs part. But sometimes we forget this part, that to, to, to thank God for his answers. God, I want to thank you as I'm telling you what my need is. I'm telling you what I'm going through in my life. I don't want to stop just by just telling you. I want to also add to this my gratitude for the fact that you are doing something, that you are God, that you see what I'm going through, that my confidence is in you, and that the answer is on the way. I don't know when it's going to arrive. I don't know exactly what package, that, what, what the package is going to look like when it shows up at my house, but I thank you that you're working in my life. I thank you. So I don't worry about anything, but I pray about everything. I tell God my needs, and then I don't forget. Don't forget. Don't forget to thank Him for His answers. Now, then He says, if you do this, if you do what? If you don't worry, instead pray and tell God about your needs and tell Him what's going on in your life, and thank Him, if you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your heart's quiet, and at rest. Boy, don't you love that, at rest. As you do what? See, again, notice the, 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 the connection between those two words, the juxtaposition of those two words, rest, peace, peace, rest, those come together. Rest and trust, they always work together. As you rest, as you trust in Christ Jesus, pray with thanksgiving. What's the message for us today? The message is just a quick reminder. We're gonna continue with this theme next weekend. You've got to expect God to work, and to expect God to work, you need to realize that God answers household prayers. Is your house a house of prayer? If not, would you begin to make it a house of prayer, not in some hyper-religious sort of way, but just in a natural way that we're, we're a family that prays. We pray at this house. That's for me and my household. We're going to pray together. That's for me and my household. We're going to serve God. And to expect that as we do pray, to realize that God does miracles in houses. One of the most significant things to remember is you don't have to be at church to get a miracle, okay? Miracles happen at church. Yes, they do. But miracles can also happen at your address as well, because God wants to show up at your house and do his supernatural work. Would you bow your heads together with me as we pray? Father, thank you for your word. We're grateful this morning for the word of God and for you speaking to our hearts and lives today. We're grateful that you're a God that cares about houses, Lord, that there's a a, a passion in your heart, a desire in your heart to show up at our house. And God, I pray this morning in the name of Jesus that there would be an awareness in each one of us, Lord, that you want to work at our address, that you have a desire to work in our businesses, our lives, our homes, our families. God, you want to show up and do miracles there. And so let that become very real to us. Lord, let us learn to ask you for things that are needed in our life we don't have sometimes because we don't ask and help us to ask with faith. With confidence, with assurance that you're the God that hears, and you're the God that will answer us in your timing, in your way, according to your will. We ask this in your name. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.